0: We're going to be in the book of Philemon tonight. Philemon verse 1. There is only one chapter in the book of Philemon. Philemon verse 1. Our theme tonight is going to be restoration. As we go to God's word, let's just calm our hearts. I know that for many of us, you've had a busy day. Wednesday is smack dab in the middle of the week and working hard and getting kids where they need to go. Kids in youth ministry and in Awana and you just take a deep breath. You're like, oh, I feel like I got ran over by a truck and now it's Wednesday night study. So let's just pause before the Lord and ask that God would refresh us. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for the restoration that you, you have brought in redeeming us unto you. And as we study the book of Philemon, we ask that you would refresh us. That it wouldn't just be an academic understanding, but that you would work in relationships that we have with one another. I pray for broken relationships, God, that you would heal and that you would mend and that you would bring restoration. So we take a moment to pause and sit at your feet. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for eternal life. Thank you for your grace, that we're saved by grace. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Restoration is a beautiful thing. I love to see old houses uh, restored. There's something about the older homes downtown. To see someone invest in them and pour their lives to them and see them come around. It's really true. We don't make things the way we used to. You know, a house that is thrown together in three weeks compared to some of these Old homes, yes, I'm sure they can be money pits, but the restoration is beautiful. I love old cars. It's cool to, to see an old car that someone's loved and restored and, and cared for. You know, you see a car that has a bunch of miles on it, and you're like, wow, that, that's pretty neat to, to see. But you know what I love even more is God restoring people's lives and restoring people's relationships. God's all about restoration. The gospel is restoration. We're in a place where we're lost, we're dead in our sins, we're eternally separated from God. Christ died for us. When we come to Christ, he restores our lives. It's really not even a powerful enough word to describe the redemption that he brings in our lives. This little postcard epistle, Paul's thoughts to a man named Philemon, carries a lot of weight. There's a broken relationship between... A slave, one of his slaves, and Philemon. And Paul encourages the slave to go back and to make things right with Philemon. So it's a real lesson for us in the restoration of relationships. And for some of you tonight, you may be in a place where God's gonna challenge you to go make a relationship right. And you're saying, that's the last thing I wanted on a Wednesday night in March. I was just starting to enjoy spring. You know, I don't don't want to think about a relationship that I blew apart that God would want to restore. Or it may be that God's wanting you to extend grace and offer forgiveness to someone who is coming back to you. Where you're in the position where it's now an opportunity to not only mend fences, but to see God uh, bring healing. So the theme is applying the gospel to relationships equaling restoration. So if the gospel's true, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, that we're completely forgiven, then how does that affect relationships with one another? How does that affect being able to experience uh, forgiveness? I don't think there's really a greater weight to carry in life than a broken relationship. Would you agree with that? You know, if you've had a, a close, meaningful relationship in your life that has been broken, you carry that with each step uh, that you take. And there's also nothing quite like a weight that is lifted when God brings restoration into a relationship, when God begins to breathe new life into a relationship. Let me tell you from the very beginning of tonight's study, it takes two willing parties. In this study, we're going to find two willing men that are willing to apply their gospel to to their friendship. And in order for there to be restoration, there has to be two willing hearts. But when there is two willing hearts, God can restore any relationship. Amen? He can bring life where there's death. He's the God of the resurrection. So he brings life into our dead bodies, causes us to be saved. He can also bring back to life a broken relationship. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and Timothy our brother. Excuse me, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. I'm so used to his normal introduction, where he introduces himself as a bondservant or apostle. But here he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Most believe that this is Paul's first imprisonment. It's considered one of his prison epistles. The reason that we we think that is Onesimus, who is the slave who is encouraged to go back to Philemon he accompanied Tychicus to carry the letter to Colossae. So the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon, written around the same time period, 61 to 63 AD, when Paul's imprisoned in Rome, his first imprisonment under house arrest. But notice what Paul says here. He says he's a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of Rome. He saw God ultimately in charge of his circumstance. Maybe you feel imprisoned tonight. Uh, there may be some down the road that will hear this study in prison as it goes out the, on the radio and in, in the internet. So maybe you're literally in a prison. Maybe you're figuratively in a prison. Maybe your job feels like a prison sentence to realize I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not a prisoner to this circumstance. This is where God has me and God is faithful in the midst of this. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. So, this is who he's writing to. He's writing to Philemon, and Philemon is his friend and fellow laborer. So, close relationship between Paul and Philemon. To beloved Apha and Archippus, our fellow soldiers. This is possibly Philemon's wife and son, but we don't know for sure, but we do know they were faithful to serve in God's army. They're fellow soldiers and to the church in your house. So Philemon was in custom to welcoming believers into his home and having church. Church is not a building. The word church is God's people. It means ekklesia in the Greek. That's the Greek word, and it's a group that's called out together. So we've been called out ...of the world together. We're walking together in fellowship. So when believers are gathered together in any location, you're having church. So you can have church in a coffee shop. You can have church in your home. We're having church right now. And Philemon was in the habit of opening up his home, allowing believers to come in and celebrate, talk about the things of Christ, pray together, maybe have communion together. I would encourage you to get together with other believers... You know, a lot of times it's something that, that we live out, leave out in our busy lives. Open up your home, open up your apartment, open up your house, invite believers over, get to know other, other believers, and by, by doing so, you're having church in your home. Now, there is a, a movement of home churches, and some people think, well, is that good, is that bad? It, again, it doesn't matter what the location is. You can have a church in a home or a church in a building like this, What matters is who are the people, what do they believe, and what are they doing? So if they're having church in a home, great. Are they studying the Bible? Are they building each other up? Are they open to outreach? Are they desiring to see more people reached and come to know Christ uh, as their Savior? Or is it kind of one of those things that's a holy huddle that goes, you know, we've got our four and no more. You know, we got, we got our four families, and this can't grow? To, or do they have a heart to, to reach others? Are they committed to church discipline? So is there a pastor over the, that group? And if someone chooses to, to walk in sin, is that pastor going to stand up and say, okay, now I've got to hold you to a biblical standard. So the location is not important, but who we are is important. So what defines us is not our building. It, it's who we are and it's what we do. And a, a healthy church is determined by what they do, not what location that, that they meet. But a great application of this is open your home for the opportunity to meet with believers. You say, I don't have a home. Well, meet meet here. You know, meet at a coffee shop. Meet at the library. It's free to go to the library. Meet in a park. It, it, we always have opportunities to get together with believers if we if we choose to. In verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been studying with us on Wednesday nights through Paul's epistles. You know about these, these greetings that Paul gives. This is his standard greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It struck me this afternoon in studying this. As Paul saw the value of a greeting. He took the time to an extend a greeting. And saw it as an opportunity to be able to extend God's love even to faithful friends, especially faithful friends, fellow believers. This is another thing we've kind of lost in our culture, is the value of a greeting. you got to work hard to get someone's attention, make eye contact, and say, hey, how are you doing today? Or it's good to see you today. Or God bless you, you know? May God be merciful to you today. I hope, hope you're doing well. It's the heart of love that's extended to somebody else in a greeting, and Paul, Paul saw the value of it. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Says Philemon, I'm always praying for you. From every indication, Philemon is doing well, and Paul still has him on his prayer list. We tend to only want to pray for or think to pray for people that are in tragedy or trauma, and absolutely, but also pray for those that are doing well. We've heard of preventative maintenance on our home and our cars. This is preventative ministry. Philemon's doing well. We know he's going to be attacked by the enemy, so I'm going to pray for him. You know a believer that's doing well? Put them on your prayer list as well. So Paul prays for Philemon, believes in the power of prayer, even though Philemon is doing well. Here's the testimony of Philemon. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints. He has this testimony of loving God, trusting God, And loving fellow believers. This is who he was known to be in his community, and even outside of his community. So Paul encourages him in this. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This is really a prayer for continued growth. May, may your faith be effective. May your faith grow. May your faith continue to be strong. And every good thing that God has worked in you, may it be lived out. In verse seven, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. That's a great encouragement. Encouragements go a long way. How many encouragements do, do you receive throughout the day? Probably Very few. Here's Philemon, he's opening up this letter and saying, keep going, bro, you you refresh the brethren. You know? I've got a friend in my life that it feels like every time he texts, I walk away refreshed. If I talk to him on the phone, I'm refreshed. He, he just has a way of pointing to the Lord, pointing to the things of God, and you, you walk away and you go, man, I just, I just feel encouraged. He doesn't knock you over the head, he just, he just kind of sneaks up on you, and before you know it, you're like, that stinker. He just encouraged me, you know? And here's Philemon. People come in contact with him, and they walk away. They go, ha, ah, that was refreshing. That was like a nice drink of water, ice water. I enjoyed spending time with Philemon. He refreshed me in the Lord. In verse 8, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you being such a one as Paul, the aged, he just admit it, I'm, I'm old, I'm aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. We get into the meat of this postcard, this small letter. He says, this is now the reason that I'm writing to you. If you have an issue to address with someone, it's wise to use the peanut butter and jelly approach. And that is, you put some bread here, and some bread here, and then you put the peanut butter and jelly in the middle. Start with a sincere compliment. These are some things that you rock at, that you are awesome at. Now, here's some things I'd like to challenge you with, because I love you. And let me finish with some more things that you're amazing at, right? It allows the peanut butter and jelly to go down, the correction to go down when it's sandwiched in some good bread. And so Paul does this. Jesus does this in his letters to the seven, seven churches. And he's saying, look, I could appeal to you or I could demand. And if you're taking notes tonight, I think there's five things we can learn from Philemon and more, I'm sure, about restoring relationships. And the first is appeal instead of demand. Appeal instead of demand. So Paul wants to see Philemon offer forgiveness to Onesimus. But he doesn't demand it, even though he could. He really gives us several reasons why he could demand it. He's the Apostle Paul and he admits it. He says, I'm Paul. Plus he says, I'm old. So you should listen to me because I'm the Apostle and I'm old. Plus I'm in prison. That counts for something as well. So I could bring out my strong arm and demand this of you. But Paul realizes that demands only go so far. He wants to reach the heart of Philemon. To really see this broken relationship healed, Philemon's heart has to be in it. So, on any part of restoration that God wants to use you, maybe you're the middleman like the Apostle Paul, and you see two believers that there's a division between the two of them, and God puts it on your heart to try to get them to come together. Go in a heart of appealing. Go in a heart of humility instead of a heart of, of demanding. Maybe we've wronged somebody else. That happens, doesn't it? And we've, we've sinned against them. It's, it's easy sometimes to go in and demand forgiveness. Maybe even throw out the Christian card a little bit with a fellow believer and go, Well, Christ has forgiven you, so you have to forgive me. I'm demanding that you forgive me you know or we've had this relationship for so long you you you've got to you know forgive me how far do you think that's going to go if you've really wronged somebody and you're you're demanding uh, forgiveness turn with me back to 2 Kings chapter 1 i want to illustrate to you the difference between demanding and appealing 2 Kings chapter 1 it's with Elijah 2 Kings 1 verse 9 Everybody find it okay? Everybody's going to pretend to. <laughs> I'm reading ESPN right now, March Madness, but it looks a lot like Second Kings. Second Kings 1 verse 9. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on the top of a hill. So here's Elijah at the top of the hill. Here comes a captain with his 50 men to arrest him. And he spoke to him and says, man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Do you see what demanding got him with the prophet Elijah? You, really? You're demanding me to come down? The king says for the man of God to come down. Well, if I'm a man of God, then you're going to get barbecued. You know, you're a hamburger right now. And boom, they get, that's it. They're done. God consumes him. So verse 11, then he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, man of God, thus the king said, come down quickly. I demand you. So Elijah answered and said to him, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty men. Different approach in verse 13. Again, he sent a third captain of fifty with his fifty men. And the third captain of fifty went up and he came and he fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight look fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s let them let my life now be precious in your sight and the angel of the lord said to elijah go down with him do not be afraid so he rose and went down with him to the king you see the difference the first two captains they're demanding You have to come down. Didn't go over very well. But the third, he shows humility. He's appealing. He uses this crazy word in our vocabulary that starts with a P called please. Please. He entreats him. He gets on his knees. So if we're really desiring restoration, we're pleading with people's hearts. We value the relationship and we're we're showing humility, showing how much it... It means to us, and some of you are saying, well, well, I'm not gonna do that. You know, that that sounds too difficult, but the Apostle Paul is willing to approach Philemon with humility instead of demanding him to respond. So let's go back to Philemon and look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I've begotten while in my chains. Says, I'm writing you about my son, Paul has invested greatly in this young man, Onesimus, this runaway slave. He says, I've begotten him while I was in my chains. So we don't know exactly how Paul and Onesimus came across each other's path, but somehow they did. Onesimus comes to know the Lord, and Paul's encouraging him, you now need to go back and make this relationship right. Even this relationship that occurred before you knew Christ as your Savior. It's important, it's on, on your conscience. What's fascinating about this in verse 10 is the midst of Paul being in prison, there was a young man who needed to be saved and come to, to know Christ as a savior. So if you say, I'm imprisoned, I'm in a prison-like situation, look around for your Onesimus. Just, just look around and say, God, where are you giving me an opportunity to share the gospel? I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this situation, so there has to be an Onesimus in my life. As my parents have been walking through this journey with my dad's health, a fairly routine surgery, supposed to be in the hospital for three days, turned into 23 days because of complications. One surgery uh, turned into three surgeries and another procedure. So they got to know their surgeon really well, you know, and in the course of this, the, there were some conversations and it turns out he doesn't believe in God. He, he's a, an atheist. And by the, the fourth surgery, he was allowing my mom to pray with him. And there, there was something that God was doing in his heart. Now, I don't know where his heart's at tonight. We don't have any indication that all of a sudden he's come to believe in Jesus Christ. But I know that my parents got to plant a seed. They, they were in a prison for 23 days. Like my dad could not leave the hospital. So my mom stayed close to the hospital. But God had an opportunity for them. And that's most times the case. It's most times the case. You know, your car's stuck in the shop for a week. It was supposed to last five minutes, and it turned into a week. There's probably going to be some opportunities in the midst of that. There's something breaks at the house, and so all of a sudden you've got people coming over to work on the house that wouldn't normally be there. They probably need some encouragement in their life. You know, they probably need to be loved on with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and Paul has the maturity to look beyond his circumstance and go, okay, God, you got me here. And who is it that you want to do a work in their life? And it turned out to be Onesimus. In verse 11, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So in restoration of relationships, the unprofitable becomes profitable. He says, Onesimus, I know that he was unprofitable to you, but now he's become profitable to me and you. God's power to be able to to restore. And if you're honest, if we're all honest, we probably have a list of people, some short, some long, but each of us probably have at least one name, if not two or three, that we go, you know, they have no profit to me. They add no value to my life. In fact, all they've ever done is wronged me. I can't ever imagine that they would go from unprofitable to profitable. Philemon's probably reading this letter going, are we talking about the same guy? Are we talking about Onesimus? Really? That he could be profitable to me. But that's restoration. You know, you go and you look at a car, and a lot of people look at a car and go, there's nothing but junk here. But somebody else would go, no, you think this is unprofitable? I can make this profitable. Some people would walk into a house and they go, this is, there's no hope here. This just needs to be burned down. It needs to be a bulldozer. And someone else would look in and go, no, th- there's profit here. And so God, he looks at people's lives and nobody's life is beyond his re- redemption and restoration. And as he redeems and restores and builds their life, they once were unprofitable to you, but then they become profitable. Calvary Chapel owns a, a camp called Marietta, and it's out in Southern California. It's a Bible college. And years ago that they bought it and it was just trashed. I mean it has been run down and used for all kinds of crazy sinful purposes. The original hotel was built during the Prohibition. People would drive out to Marietta to be able to drink. And so Pastor Chuck and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa got a really good deal on it. And what they chose to do is go through and and break all of these pieces of tile that were all in these different buildings. And then use that to make mosaics uh, around the property. And it's fascinating to walk around the property. You're walking through some of the history. And everything about the building communicates restoration. Instead of just taking that... Tile and throwing it away and buying new tile. They broke it up into all these pieces and these craftsmen got together And, and laid the, these these work, works of art and see God doesn't throw people away. Amen Even though sometimes we throw ourselves away We say yeah, we just I'm done and I'm giving myself over to to sin. God loves rescuing people And as they get restored to God, then God starts re- restoring relationships with parents and brothers and sisters and friends, and with a husband, or with a wife. We've seen God do amazing things in our church, where couples have been divorced, moved on with their lives, God does a work in their life, and they come back together. And you're like, how does that work? I never thought that, no, I, I thought you guys were done. But God knew that they weren't done, and God brought restoration, and brought it back together. You know, God might do something crazy like that in your life, you know, you're divorced and you're thinking, you know what? That ex, they are not profitable to me. I don't care how big God is. They're not going to become profitable. You know, that, that's beyond possibility. Keep your heart open. God may do a radical work in their life and a radical work in your life. You may have a friend that's hurt you beyond comprehension. And you have checked them off your list and said, no more. And God's going to do a work in their life and God's going to do a work in your life. And a person who is unprofitable will become profitable. That's the power of God. He has the ability to change people. I know it takes two people. It takes Onesimus and it takes Philemon, but he's able to do it. You might be sitting in so much guilt and shame tonight. You go, man, I've harmed so many people in my life. There's no way that I could become profitable to them again. Yes, in Jesus, you could. Onesimus will become profitable to Philemon. You can become profitable even to those that you've hurt because that's the power of God. That's the power of the gospel. That's applying the gospel to our relationships. In verse 12, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I've wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. So number three about restoration is go have the difficult conversation. It says, I am sending him back. Onesimus has to go back to Philemon. Paul had to have a difficult conversation with Onesimus and say, this is awesome that you've received Christ. It's awesome that you're growing in Christ, but you've got something that you need to go clear up. You're a runaway slave. You need to go back to Philemon. He's your brother in Christ. So, Paul had to have a difficult conversation. Onesimus has to go back to Philemon, face the music, and have a difficult conversation. I don't like difficult conversations. I'm pretty good at avoiding difficult conversations. But I see the tremendous value and fruit in Christ to have those difficult conversations. Pray about this. Maybe write it down. At least think it through. Restoration never happens without a difficult conversation. Because there's been a fractured friendship. Something has been broken. Sin has been committed. You can have fake or feigned restoration. But if there isn't an honest conversation, it's not true and genuine. Remember David and Absalom? Absalom sinned against David, killed his brother, was living in hiding. Joab didn't like the awkward tension of father and son not talking to each other. He forces a meeting between David and Absalom. And the Bible tells us that David and Absalom embrace, but they never talk about any of the issues. They don't have a difficult conversation. That's not restoration. And in time, Absalom's heart shows through and he operates in treason against his father. So you've got to have that difficult conversation. If you've wronged somebody and throughout this whole message, the Holy Spirit speak into your heart, listen and obey and say, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to have this conversation with them to see if God will bring restoration. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I pray that there's restoration, but that may not be the case. That person may not be willing to, to forgive you, but you know... That you've done everything possible in your own heart to live at peace with them. You're right with the Lord. You did it. You went back and had that difficult conversation. You're not walking around with the weight of that broken, convert, broken relationship any longer. So Onesimus goes back and has that difficult conversation. But also in this, there has to be a willingness, and this is number four, to receive them back. And that's what we find in verse 13 and 14. Paul says, I wish that you'd receive Onesimus back. But it can't be by compulsion. It can't be because Paul is asking. It has to be because God has touched your heart. Receive him back. Church, we're all going to be at that place at some point in our lives to receive someone back who has hurt us, who has harmed us. And this is difficult, and it's not always easy. And what should you be looking for b- before you receive them back? And what you, should you not be looking for? Is there something, biblically, that you should be looking for before, before you receive them back? Yes, it's the fruit of repentance. So, someone's heart's changed, and they're coming back. They want restoration, and you start to see a change in their actions. However... It's not perfection. <laughs> we want perfection. We go, okay, repentance must mean that you have completely changed and you're never going to struggle with this again. No, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the beginnings of the fruits of repentance and say, okay, I can see your heart's changed. I can see that your, your actions have changed. So now I'm going to receive you back. Do we have some examples in Scripture of God or other people receiving people back? The prodigal son. Prodigal son goes, sins, squanders his inheritance, goes, man, it's better back at my father's house. He comes back to the father's house. What would the story of the prodigal son be like if the father did not receive back the son? We got no story, church. There's nothing there. What if he would have slammed the door on his face and said, you know, why don't you come back when you really mean it, right? He saw brokenness. He saw fruits of repentance, and so he received his son back. Joseph received his brothers back after they sold him to be a slave to Egypt. That's a little bit difficult to get over. You know, like, you guys sold me as a slave to another country. Now you need food from me? I don't think so, right? Go feed yourself. But did he receive them back the first time? No. He tested them. If you go back and, and, and you read it, but he saw brokenness. He saw the fruits of repentance. So he wept. It's one of the most powerful parts of scripture. Joseph can't hold it back any longer. They didn't recognize him, but he he recognized his brothers. He says, I'm your brother. And there's this amazing restoration that only God can do, where the, the brothers were in a place of repentance. Joseph was in a place of forgiveness, and they moved to, to Egypt and they come in, and dwell with Joseph. That's God. But we have to be willing to receive someone back when they are broken and they're asking for forgiveness, and there's the fruit of repentance. Listen to Ephesians 4:32 it says and be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you So does God receive us back time and time again He's so willing to forgive he's so willing to extend grace so extend the grace that you've received and grace is powerful and grace heals relationships and grace changes lives So go have the difficult conversation but also receive them back. Is there somebody that you need to receive back? If you're honest, you go, you know what? There really has been some fruits of repentance there, but I'm bitter. I'm offended. I'm not willing to extend forgiveness. May I just suggest to you that time is short. There's a, a turn that we do as a family turning into to the church here off of a Academy Boulevard, just right across from the Del Taco. If you're you know, you heading south on Academy, and you take a left into to the church parking lot. There's a lot of traffic coming coming north, and for me, you know, working here at the church and a lot of just our activities seem to be right around in this area. My life flashes before my eyes as I'm waiting to turn left. Right, it's like I think I've been here before. Right, I think I've spent a lot of time at, at this particular place of 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 traffic, and you probably have that same spot somewhere for you, maybe it's one light on your way to work, and you're like, oh, I sit here every day. I'm gonna die right here. This, this traffic light has taken seven years of my life, right? But then you stop and realize life is short, and it's going really quick, isn't it? It is flying by. If there could be a relationship healed while you still had the time, wouldn't you want to do it? You've got somebody that is repentant, that is broken, not perfect, that want to make make things right, and all you got to do is pick up the phone and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Let's get a cup of coffee before it's too late. Maybe it's on the other end and you've wronged somebody and you're thinking, "They, they won't forgive me. Give it a shot. See what God does. Have the conversation, receive someone back, because you never know when we're going to run out of time. And if at all possible, if we could not have a broken relationship, oh, it would be wonderful. In verse 15, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. This is powerful. Philemon, receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Philemon, I want you to receive him back, but you're not receiving him back as a slave. You're receiving him back as a, a brother in Christ. And a brother in Christ forever. Don't don't do it just for my sake, but to realize he's your brother in Christ. And I think this also gets at a real important part of restoration. If they're believers, we're able to receive them back because they're our brother or sister in Christ. Jesus has died for their sins. He's rose again. We're going to spend eternity together. So hey, we're we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I can receive you and receive you back as a brother in Christ. See them covered in Christ's righteousness. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. This shows how important this is to Paul. Paul's saying, hey, If you receive me, then receive Onesimus. He's my son in the faith. I want to see this relationship healed. Verse 18, but if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I am Paul and writing with my own hand, I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. (laughs) That's like tighten the screw statement right there. He's like, by the way, Philemon, I led you to Christ. You'd be going to hell if it wasn't for me. So you should really do this, you know. But before that, Paul says, hey, if he owes you anything, I'll pay for it. And this is the fifth thing about restoration. Repay wrongs. Repay wrongs. Paul could have left this out. Paul could have said, look, Christ has died for the sin. Let's let bygones be bygones. There's no need for restitution. But Paul understands this is part of restoration, is there needs to be a repayment of wrongs. This isn't dollar for dollar. You know, this isn't the idea here. Okay, let's calculate up all the damages with interest, and you owe me $1,700.52. No, that's not the heart here. It's not nickeling-diming, but it's saying, I understand that I've done something wrong, so I want to repay it. And Paul's willing to be part of that process, to see this relationship be healed and restored. What does this show if we go to somebody that we've wronged and we say, I realize what this costs you, I want to make it right? It goes a long way, doesn't it? Maybe Philemon got ripped off by Onesimus when he left as a slave. Maybe he stole things in the process. And so Paul's saying, look, I realize those things had value, and I want to repay those, those things. I remember uh, our next-door neighbor growing up, her, her name was Lena, and she was an older uh, German lady, and her husband's name was Carl. And Carl had passed away, and across from her house was a vacant lot, a vacant half-acre lot. We loved to play baseball in that vacant lot. And then there was the street, and then there was her, her property. And as we got a little bit older, we started hitting the baseball further and further. And the ultimate home run was to hit it over her house. And then if you hit it over her house, uh, we would jump into the backyard, find the baseball, and go play again. And on this one particular day, my my brother just hit a, a powerful line drive, didn't quite get up over the house, and went right through her big glass window, she always sat in her chair next to that window. So can you imagine being like mid-80s or so? You're just sitting there, and here comes this baseball right through the window and all this, this, this shattered glass. Now, now, do you think it would have been enough for my brother and I to go to her and say, Lena, you've known us our whole lives, and we're little angels. Would you please forgive us for breaking the window? She still has to pay for a window, doesn't she? And so, guess who bought her a window? My brother and I. Dad fronted the money so it could get repaired quickly because she's without her front window. And then we work to pay my dad back because that's the right thing to do, isn't it? You know, you're, you're righting wrongs. So if you think about it and you go, you know what, I, I stole from this person. I just flat out stole for them or I damaged them in a, in a deep way is to say, God, how do I do something practically, tangibly, to try to right right that wrong? I know forgiveness comes from the Lord, but Lord, would you have me pursue them and try to right this wrong? In verse 20, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. He's saying, oh, Philemon, this would cause great refreshment inside of me to see This relationship mended Psalms 133 talks about the beauty of unity It says behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity It's like precious oil Upon the head running down to the beard the beard of Aaron running down from the edge of his garments like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore There's a blessing that flows from unity And Paul's saying, I'm going to be refreshed if you two can walk together in unity. In verse 22, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul has confidence in Philemon's character. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you, saying, I know you're praying for me, and because of that, I hope to get out of prison, and I'm going to come visit you. So get that spare bedroom ready. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Paul's not alone, as do Mark, which is John Mark, Archippus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I like that. God's grace, his undeserved, unmerited favor being with our spirit, strengthening our spirit. I believe that God wants to do a work in relationships tonight. He didn't bring you here by happen chance. Could have easily have not been here this evening, but you're here. Why? Because God wants to do a work in relationships. Do you need to initiate a difficult conversation with someone? You know you've wronged them. You're in the shoes of Onesimus. You might even say, it happened before I knew Christ as my Savior. And God's saying, you know, you hurt them deeply. You know, you sinned against them. You know, you wronged them. Maybe for years you've been blaming it on someone else. You've been making up excuses of why you didn't really do anything wrong. And God's showing you tonight, and He's saying, no, it, it's you. The problem's you. And you need to go to them, you've hurt them, you've wronged them, and own it. God does so much in those moments of brokenness. It's where he pours out his grace. It's where he pours out his healing. It's where he pours out his relationship, his restoration, excuse me. And then some of you, you need to forgive. You need to forgive somebody. They have called you, they have attempted to make things right. But in your heart, you're saying, they're never going to hurt me like that again. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's not easy. But evaluate and go, okay, I I do see some repentance here. So Lord, I'm going to receive them back. I'm going to call them tonight. Say, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this against you any longer. Would you forgive me for being bitter towards you? And then watch God do that beautiful work of, of restoration. I get really encouraged by the book of Philemon, you're saying, really? Why? Because it's real, right? Here we have in the Bible two godly men struggling with relationship, and the apostle Paul has to intervene and say, okay, guys, Philemon must have been struggling with this, or Paul wouldn't have had to write it, you know? He figured, okay, Onesimus needs some help with this. If he just shows up on Philemon's doorstep, who knows what's going to happen? So I'm going to write this letter to him, and I'm going to give him this, this preparation. So as we close, let's pray, and pray for one another that God would help us in relationship. God, we need your help in relationship. It's not easy. It's, it's difficult. We sin against others. Others sin against us. We desire to see you bring healing in relationship. So we do pray for one another. Lord, would you give us the strength to have that difficult conversation? To go to somebody with a spirit of appealing instead of demanding. Lord, it's so hard to forgive. So many times we want to hold on to the bitterness and the grudges. And Give us discernment to, to evaluate and to know when there is that fruit of repentance to be able to, to offer forgiveness. So Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We pray you would bless this time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen.